Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1. Bible scholar Matthew Henry once was attacked by thieves and he was robbed of his money. And he wrote these words in his diary after that, which I think are very interesting. He said, let me be thankful. I'm not sure that's the first thing I would have written after I was robbed. Let me be thankful first. I was never robbed before. (laughs) Second, although they took my purse, or we might say wallet, um, gentlemen, uh, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took my all, I like this, it was not much. (laughs) they took my all it was not much fourth let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing (laughs) how are you to keep your joy when circumstances are hard how can you be thankful when circumstances are hard. I see you wearing masks this morning. You enjoy that? <laughs> Don't remind you, right? <clears throat> I mean, th- and this is the least of our problems, right? Wearing a mask is the least of our problems right now. The, the problems that we face as a culture, as a world that we live in, how can you keep your joy? How can you be thankful in the midst of the the hardship that we, that we all face, and much worse. And I know that, that many of you are dealing with things that are much worse than, than even things related to, to COVID. How are you to maintain your joy when circumstances are trying? What a remarkable attitude Matthew Henry had in his day as he faced real hardship. It's much like the attitude that we've been seeing in Paul's example here in Philippians chapter 1. It's been obvious in the life of Paul that true joy is possible. True joy as followers of Jesus Christ is possible, even in the face of hardship. We especially see it this morning. It's been said that that our disappointments are God's appointments. We need to think about our disappointments that way, our troubles. These are God's appointments. We may be disappointed, but God has appointed this time for us. And he's giving us an opportunity to respond with Christ-like maturity. Now, we may not always respond with Christ-like maturity at first, but we ought to be quick to correct ourselves because we know the truth. So what about when you face troubling times? How can you keep your joy then? How can we keep our joy now? Is there even a reason for joy in the midst of difficulties? I want to quickly say yes. The Bible says yes. God's word tells us the answer is yes. There is a reason for joy even in the midst of difficulties. Let's look at these verses this morning. The verses before us are verses 12 through 14 in Philippians chapter 1. Paul's example is is helpful. It's instructive. So let's be helped. Let's be instructed. 
Paul writes, Philippians chapter 1, follow along in your copy of God's Word, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now I want you to picture Paul sending this message from captivity. He's in prison with a 24-hour guard, no privacy. And yet, instead of being discouraged with his circumstances, he is overflowing with joy. I'm not going to suggest that he wasn't tempted to be discouraged or that he wasn't discouraged at times, but, but what he writes shows that he has the proper perspective in his discouragement, in his challenges. He's overflowing with joy. And I think we can see from Paul's example that there is a reason for joy even in the midst of difficulties. And I would add this, if you have a single-minded focus on Jesus Christ and His gospel. Paul's joy in the midst of difficulty is only possible because he is able to see the big picture. And the big picture is all about Jesus Christ and His gospel. He knew that God was advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ with this difficulty. He was using this difficulty that Paul was facing right now to advance the good news. And he sees that there's been positive impact that his imprisonment has had on believers and on unbelievers. Get that. The impact of his imprisonment has gone and touched the lives of believers and unbelievers. So how can we learn to have this single-minded focus on Jesus Christ and His gospel also? We can learn by first noting that Paul's joy came from first focusing on the gospel of Christ. We need this same kind of focus, but we're not going to get it if we don't go there and focus on the gospel and focus on the truth that people need to hear, that we need to hear again and again. Noted in verse 12 how Paul makes it clear that his difficulties have actually served to advance the gospel. In fact, he starts with this statement, I want you to know, he says. It's like saying, listen up. Listen up. I would say it to my children sometimes when they were smaller. Listen. And then I learned after a while that I needed to say, what did I just say? Because they would often come back and tell me something I did not say. So I started, okay, here's what I'm telling you. Listen, now tell me what I just said. Okay, now do that. That's kind of what he's saying here. <laughs> Listen up. I want you to get this. It's, he's saying this because it's likely that he had been sent word that they were concerned about him. They were deeply troubled about his circumstances. And so he's like, wait, put on the brakes, stop a minute, back up, think about this you need to get this. Paul knows that God's purposes had not been thwarted by his imprisonment. God's purposes had not been stopped 
In fact, it's just the opposite. God's purposes were being advanced by his imprisonment. He knows that God is in control, and he knows that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, God's purpose is good. God has good purposes. It may be hard for us to see what the good purpose is in the midst of our hardship and trial, but we can be confident that God's purposes are good. I often think of Joseph when I think of God's purpose always being good. I think about Joseph's life. I think how in the world, how in the world could he go through what he went through? And come out the other side saying things like we see later, much later, many years later, after trials and tribulations and hardship and being opposed by people, even being opposed by his brothers. I am, I am very blessed to have loving brothers and a loving sister who they do not oppose me. I can't imagine being opposed by my siblings. Joseph's brothers had treated him terribly. They sold him into slavery. It doesn't get much worse than that. And as a result, he had endured many years of hardship in Egypt. But it became obvious to him that after everything, everything Joseph had endured, it became obvious to him, he sees clearly that God's purpose is in it all. It was all for good. We can hear this from Joseph in his own words, In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, he says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the crucifixion and death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which Peter proclaims in Acts chapter 2 and verses 23 and 24 was a fulfillment of God's good purposes when, he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Do you get that language there? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God used sinful men to accomplish His good purposes. Yes, God was in control all along, and Paul knew this. So he looked at his severe difficulties, and with a single-minded focus on Jesus and his gospel, he could see that God's purpose in this hardship was to advance the gospel. Right there is a key to Paul's joy. Paul's one aim, his singular focus and passion in life, had become advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting that God's people not have any involvement in anything going on in this world, but what I'm saying is is that the things that we're passionate about ought to be aimed by this passion for Jesus Christ and His gospel. 
ought to be shaped by this passion for Jesus Christ and His gospel. The things that we enjoy, the things that we like to do, we ought to see that God has given us those interests and those passions and those desires and those things that we enjoy so that they will honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that actually goes toward our problems also, our troubles and conflicts. We ought to see those as opportunities to bring glory to God and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's the key to Paul's joy. Look at verse 12 again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he's happy with that. He's fine with that. We ought to be fine with that. That whatever we face, though we grieve, I'm not saying we don't grieve, and and I'm not suggesting that we don't shed tears over hardships. But through the tears, we ought to see the glory that God gets when we respond properly to our hardships. This advancing of the gospel, what is this? What is this? What is this gospel message? I I like to look for it all over the scriptures, and we can find it all over the scriptures. In fact, it's encapsulated in the words of Jesus as he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17 and verse 3 when he says, And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This gospel is helping people know the Lord Jesus Christ, making him known, that they would know that they're sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior in whom they must believe. That's the one passion that drove Paul. That the gospel of Jesus Christ be advanced. And his expectation that Christ would be magnified was the source of his joy. He expected that through it all, Jesus Christ would be magnified and glorified. And that brought him much joy. You can see it as you skip ahead. Go down to verse 20 here in chapter 1. You can see evidence of this. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, come what may. God is glorified, and I am fine with that. In in fact, I have joy because of that. Paul was joyful, even in chains. Because he knew that God was advancing the gospel through him and through other believers. And Paul was content with God doing this any way he saw fit. Now that might be hard for us to to identify with. How can we be okay with God doing what he's going to do any way he sees fit? We kind of want God to do it our way. Wind my life through and between the problems. Lord, don't take me over them and through them. Take me around them, okay? I remember after going over and over, over and over and over so many obstacles in, in basic training when I, when I joined the military, that after I'd gone over after all the obstacles, when I saw an obstacle, I just wanted to go around one for a change. That's what we ask God for. But no, God says, no, no, you need the problems. The problems will make you more like my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're, you're in your problems, you will glorify the son if you, if you honor me in the way that you respond to them. 
Paul was content with God doing what he was doing, however God chose to do it. We need to get there. If we're going to have the joy of the Lord as our strength, we need to get there ourselves. I'm not saying that we're perfect in this. I'm not suggesting that we'll ever be perfect in this, but we need to be growing in Christ-likeness this way and following the example that we see in Paul's life also, that we would be ready to say, come what may, I'm ready to respond with a way that honors God so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be advanced even in my hardship. In this case, it was Paul's hardship that God was using to advance the gospel. And he had been given opportunities from prison, from from being held in bondage, in chains, that he would not have had otherwise to impact people with the gospel of Christ. This attitude is remarkable, and it's contrary to what we often think. Paul's expectation wasn't for wealth or respect, or for good health, or for personal comfort, or for any other personal gain. What he wanted most was for Jesus Christ to be magnified. That's instructive, and that's convicting. Because what I want is comfort. What I want is an easy day, or an easy week, or an easy year. What I want is to be taken care of, right? I want to enjoy everything. I don't want to face any hardship. Are you you like that at all? (laughs) So this is instructive, isn't it? That helps us see that joy in the midst of our difficulties is possible. If our aim in life is to advance the gospel of Christ, joy in the midst of hardship is possible. I'm not saying that you ask God for hardship. That doesn't doesn't make sense. (laughs) Right? In fact, the Bible tells us to pray for our our governing authorities that we might be able to live peaceable and quiet lives. So part of what God tells us to pray for those who are in authority over, over us is that they would make wise decisions so that believers in Jesus Christ can live peaceable and quiet lives the purpose is, of course, so that we can keep advancing the gospel. No, we don't ask for hardships, but we need to have the mind of Christ and the mind of Paul here as we have his example that says, hey, whatever God chooses to do, whether it's a, a day that, that I'm uh, seeing the blessing of God and, and feeling the blessing of God, or it's a day that I'm feeling oppressed In hardship and difficulty, I want God to be glorified in it all. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be made known. Can you have joy in the midst of difficulties? Yes. Yes, you can. If you are God's child, you can be confident that God is using even your hardship for your good and for His good purposes. The Bible in Romans 8.28, it's a passage you likely have heard many times and you need to hear again. So I'm going to read it again to you this morning because I need to hear it again. Romans 8.28 puts that truth this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That's not just a flowery, pleasant statement to engrave on a plaque and hang in your bathroom. Right? This is... 
And, and pardon me if you've got this engraved in your house and hanging in your house. This is a good, but this is, this is powerful. This is a powerful truth that God wants us to take to heart. We know, we should know this, says Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we can know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. Yes, you can have joy in the midst of hardship. In fact, the greatest opportunity to magnify Christ is often found in the midst of trials. Peter helps us understand that when he writes in 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It is evident in that passage that there is blessing and joy for the believer whose hope is in God and whose single-minded focus is Jesus and His gospel. In fact, look at the impact Paul's joy had. His single-minded devotion to Jesus and His gospel impacted unbelievers. Notice how his joy impacted unbelievers. Look at verse 13. He says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The whole imperial guard. The imperial guard was an elite group of Roman soldiers. Many scholars estimate the guard numbered from six to 9,000. So this is remarkable. The whole imperial guard, six to 9,000 men. Paul was under constant guard by them, and they worked in six-hour shifts, these rotating shifts, and with contact with the many different guards during his confinement and the opportunities he had to explain the gospel to these guards, he could say that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. No, it, his imprisonment was, wasn't for being a bad actor. Uh, his imprisonment wasn't for, being for bad behavior. His imprisonment had been, been no, made known that his imprisonment was because he proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is remarkable. There was likely no other way Paul could have had this opportunity to impact so many unbelievers with the gospel than, than in bondage, witnessing to guards every day. Paul also was able to minister to the court officials as he was brought before them. I, I appreciate the way Warren Wearsby writes this when he says, He was in Rome as an official prisoner, and his case was an important one. The Roman government was going to determine the official status of this new Christian sect. 
Was it merely another sect of the Jews? Or was it something new and possibly dangerous? Imagine how pleased Paul must have been knowing that the court officials were forced to study the doctrines of the Christian faith. (laughs) I love it. What an incredible opportunity God had given Paul in the midst of hardship. And it wasn't just that he was a prisoner of good behavior. He wasn't just behaving well. It's not like he had be, you know, gotten a, a good reputation for being a well-behaved prisoner. No, he was a joyful prisoner. And it was evident to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that Paul's chains were because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And the word went even further than that. Because it included also some, some in Caesar's household. Now the imperial guards that were watching Paul and having the gospel of Jesus explained to them constantly by Paul were also responsible for guarding the emperor. And, they, and these guards, they're talking to each other. They're, you hear about this, this guy Paul? and Get this, here's what he told me. And the guards stationed in Caesar's household had contact with people serving in other capacities there. So how far did the word about Paul spread? We get a clue of this uh, to how far it had gone in Philippians 4. Listen to verse 22. I love this. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. All, get this. All the saints, that's believers in Jesus Christ. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Now we might say, that's amazing. And that's okay to say that's amazing. But realize that's God. That's how God works. There were believers in Caesar's household. How did that happen? It was very likely the result of members of the palace guard who'd come to believe in Jesus themselves, who'd gone back to spread the good news themselves. And the good news spread. And people in Caesar's household became believers and followers of Jesus Christ. How could Paul be so joyful? (laughs) He could be joyful because he could see. And he knew, even if he couldn't see what God was doing, he knew that God was at work. Now that's important for us to get. He he could hear the results. I'm sure he was getting word back from some of the guards. Hey, I I told, you know, I believed. (laughs) And I told others and they believed. That would be encouraging, wouldn't it? In your imprisonment. But but get this, Paul knew, even if he didn't see the outcome, the results, he knew God was working. He knew that this difficulty of being imprisoned was intended by God to spread the gospel to the lives of other people. And Paul was resting in the knowledge that God is at work accomplishing his good purposes and his deep faith and his resulting joy had an impact on unbelievers. I wonder, is this what you would pray for yourself and for the members of this church? That we would live with a single-minded devotion to Christ and His gospel? That ought to be our prayer. That you would pray for yourself, God, help me to have a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ and His gospel. And help my brothers and sisters in Christ and Chardon Baptist Church to have a single-minded devotion to Christ and His gospel. 
Would you pray that as, and that as a result, we would also have the joy of the Lord as our strength? <laughs> what an important prayer that would be. We kind of got a glimpse of that last week as we studied these earlier passages about how to pray for each other. Do you want to have an impact in the lives of unbelievers who you interact with? Do you want to have an impact in their lives for the gospel's sake, for, for Jesus' sake? Then you need to fix your attention on living for Jesus and living for His gospel. Understanding that your testimony for the sake of the gospel will glorify God when your attitude in the face of difficulties glorifies God. When your attitude in the face of hardship and difficulties brings glory to God, people will see Jesus more clearly and be more likely to come to Him in faith themselves. Now note this in verse 14, how Paul's single-minded devotion to Jesus and His gospel resulted in joy that also impacted other believers. Not just unbelievers, but also other believers. And I would say this, your joy will impact other believers. You ought to want joy, not just for your own sake, but you ought to want joy for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ around you who will be impacted by it. Verse 14, look at it again. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's joy in the midst of difficulty gave courage to other believers. How about that? They saw Paul's single-minded devotion to Jesus. They saw in the midst of his hard circumstances how God was taking care of him. How God was giving him peace that passes understanding. How God was giving him joy. God was taking care of him and, and using him, and, and they became more courageous to speak of the gospel of Christ themselves without fear. Joy is contagious. Joy is contagious. Like other things are contagious, you know, like a bad attitude is contagious. Joy is also contagious. Paul had joy in the midst of hardship because he was focused on spreading the gospel. It's what he had made the aim of his life. He wanted to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that God was fulfilling his plans with this difficulty and impacting unbelievers and believers. He also knew that God was using those difficulties to embolden believers. Look at what God did with Paul's example of devotion to Jesus and his gospel. Just think about this and look how God used Paul's joy. Other believers were being emboldened. They were being emboldened to share the gospel themselves. That's counterintuitive to what we often think. We often think that, that hardship and difficulty would make us hunker down and, and internalize and, and think about our own problems, but not Paul. For him, it was, how's God using this? How can I get in the center of what God is doing? He's proclaiming the gospel and he's seeing how what God is doing is advancing into the lives of other believers and giving them courage. And this joy and gratitude to God that Paul had can and should be ours too. This should be ours. 
I think about this Thanksgiving season. We are often reminded, and you're, you're going to get more reminders today, probably in the rest of this week, about the things that you ought to be thankful for. And this is good. We ought to thank God for the many good things that He has given us. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. We should give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. We have so much to be grateful for. But I want you to hear this. We should also be thankful for the things that we don't often thank God for. You ever thank God for a hardship that you've gone through? That's hard to do, isn't it? I can think of some prominent hardships that, that our family has faced that, that I can say, I, I can see why I ought to thank God for this. I did not ask for this, and I'm asking God to make it better and take it away. But thank you, God, for bringing this into my life because I can see how you're using it. Thank you. We ought to thank God for the things that we don't often thank Him for. Have you thanked God for the difficulties that He has brought you through? That can be really hard, I understand. But it gets easier. I'm not saying the hardship is easier, but it's, but it's easier to thank God for the hardship and through the hardship when your focus is on Jesus and serving Him for the sake of the gospel. When your perspective is set on Jesus and being grateful to Him and serving Him for the sake of the gospel. And when you are serving Jesus so that unbelievers will see Him and believe in Him also. And when you're serving Jesus so that believers will be encouraged and emboldened to share the gospel also. You can have joy. God will give you His joy as His strength at work in you when you make your aim glorifying God when you make your aim the gospel of Jesus Christ, making Him known, living in a way that honors Him through whatever comes, however God chooses to bring things into your life, whether they're challenges or blessings as you see them, surrendering them all to the work of God's hand, knowing that He is always doing something. You may not see what He's doing, but you can know He is at work. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, what a powerful truth this morning that we, that we see in your word today. And I ask God that you would give us strength for this, this task. This is not something that, that comes natural to us to be grateful in the midst of hardship, to be joy-filled in the midst of difficulty. But Lord, I think we can see here clearly that it's possible for us to rejoice in the Lord always. To rejoice even in the midst of difficulties and hardship, even in the midst of opposition. And you know, you know the particular hardships that each one of us faces right now, even in this day, even in the week ahead. And Lord, help us to surrender those things to you that you that you would clearly be at work in them and, and help us to see it. But even if we don't see it, help us to trust that you are at work and that you are all-knowing and you are all-powerful and you don't waste anything in our lives. 
So God, help us to surrender everything to you and help us to know the joy of the Lord as our strength, even in the face of difficulties. And even in this day of Thanksgiving, this week of Thanksgiving, as we rejoice and we thank you for all the good blessings that you've given us, help us to realize that some of the blessings that you give us aren't things that we enjoy necessarily. They're hardships and difficulties, but they are blessings. Because when we respond in a way that pleases you, you are glorified and magnified and the, and the work of the gospel is advanced. Help us to be right in the center of that, Lord. Making our lives about advancing the gospel, making our lives about encouraging unbelievers toward Christ so that they might believe in him and encouraging other believers so that they might be emboldened to speak the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.